Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. There's a certain type of entrepreneur that seems to exceed all expectations. They're the rock stars that we're all looking up to, who seem to take on and vanquish challenges on the regular, all while scaling their businesses to incredible heights. So what happens when you get all of them in a room together? Today's guest, Sean McGinnis, knows all about that. The CFO of Capital 54 and former global president of YPO spends his days helping successful entrepreneurs take their businesses to the next level. You know, there's a saying that we don't go through life alone. My experience has been that surrounding myself with people that are prepared to give and share their experiences was a massive help, is a massive help, because I'm, I'm still getting that kind of support today. Today, we hear insights from Sean McGinnis's incredible entrepreneurial journey, plus how candid professional networks help personal injury attorneys scale with ease, and how capital strategy to ensure your firm can withstand any eventuality. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their incredible stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Stryer. Stay with us. Sean McGinnis is extremely well-known in entrepreneurial circles from Dallas, Texas to every corner of the globe through his work with YPO. But Sean's success story starts back at his high school in South Africa, raising money to fund a new community pool. Because I was so passionate about swimming, I got very fired up about going door to door and literally raising money. I was very successful at it. I literally go door to door after school, sometimes sort of twilight, dodge the barking dogs and find my little pitch. And it just, it seemed to come naturally to me. So that was my sort of first sales experience. And then seeing the swimming pool being built in my final year in high school, my team won the cup, uh, my house team. And, you know, I collected and it was a very, it was, there was a sense of pride. And then I, I happened to uh, work for one of South Africa's foremost entrepreneurs, a fellow by the name of Robert Maingard, um, who really enhanced that passion for being an entrepreneur. And that's what sort of spurred me to start my own business at the age of 25 and a half, nearly 26. So I come at it honestly, Chris, I think, yeah. I hope. <laughs> well, well, that's incredible. And I, I think that those door-to-door, I'm sure you refined your pitch and you probably accepted rejection, got used to it. And got bitten, by, got bitten by a Doberman Pinscher once, and that was my biggest sale. <laughs> oh, jeez. to give me 500 because I had no blood coming out of my jeans. You know, it wasn't a bad bite. I didn't need stitches or anything, but she was so horrified. I'll never forget it. So it was a very important lesson. That's such an interesting story. That's incredible. <laughs> so uh, your, your, your audience on the personal injury side 
may have advised me to take a different approach, but I got my <laughs> payment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's such a good story. So, you know, you, you started your first business and to be a member of EO, you have to hit a million in sales. So it's, it's that first, that minimum requirement. And you did that with your company early on. So, so tell us, you know, that story of, of hitting that first landmark million dollar in sales. That was um, fortunately for me, and I'm, I'm extraordinarily blessed. I was in Canada and I was selling a suite of psychometric aptitude, math, reasoning. And I happened to secure some really good benchmark accounts early on. Companies like Kaminko Metals, Kelly Services, which was the big temp replacement company, and several others, Standard Life and some big life insurance companies. And what I learned early is those marquee accounts, I was able to increase my revenue there fairly substantially and charge a higher price than a lot of my competitors. And, you know, my model then became going after the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. And that helped my acceleration. So I didn't have to sell a lot of business because I sold what is commonly called an enterprise level uh, model. And that helped me get within two and a half years up to that level. And I didn't know about EO. I'd never volunteered for anything I'd never been part of a community organization. And Peter Thomas, who was the founder of Century 21, recruited me into EO. He was a YTO member, chairman emeritus of EO, just a superb human being. And he really shared the benefit of learning from a peer group, being with other entrepreneurs, other business owners, and taking advantage of that. But part of it was giving back. We had a volunteer to run EO. You know, and when I joined EO, there were about 400 members worldwide. They're now over 15,000. And, you know, each of us early members had a role to play in developing our chapter, getting speakers and resources and working collaborative, collaboratively together in small groups. And that gave me a very important step up because I was able to figure out through watching others who've, who'd made mistakes that I didn't need to make and for having very sort of candid, confidential, honest discussions about how to fund a business, how to scale a business. It was a great experience and I've never looked back from that time. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. So when I, you know, I have a history education degree and somehow I became an entrepreneur, starting my own business and I joined Vistage and I got immersed in this, you know, with other business owners and I got to see how they were accepting challenges and dealing with employees or growing. And so it was very powerful for me. And, and you went on then to YPO and you became the global president and it's one of the most powerful groups in the world. So why do you, why do you think YPO is one of the most powerful groups in the world? I think it goes back to what I was sharing earlier. 70 years it's been in business. Its uniqueness is, I call it the trust formula. I think and Vistage is probably the same. I, I haven't belonged to Vistage, but I know a lot of Vistage chairs and people that have been in Vistage and several of my team at YPO, we would put through Vistage because it was very valuable for them operationally. But I think trust and this concept of authentic, uh, non-judgmental sharing with each other. So the whole concept of a peer, now YPO is very broad, so it's any business imaginable. I think it's when you have those that kind of candid, trust-based relationship where you kind of take your mask off. I was, you know, experienced early on 
you know, we layer masks on ourselves in order to compete, in order to, and, and a lot of it's made up in our minds because, you know, there's whatever insecurities and fear factors, we think we need to operate a certain way. And so we build these masks. One of the things YPO does in a very sort of confidential setting enables you to take those masks off and really, you know, when you're sharing, share the facts, share the, the personal impact, share the concerns or the insecurities. And when you don't get any criticism coming back at you or judgment, you develop a confidence that enables you to move forward, to learn, to grow, to adapt. And I think that's part of its secret source. YPO has a concept called forum. They call masterminds or uh, different things, you know, that exist out there that are small group curated sort of coaching, you know, coaches do a great job at this. But the element of trust in those is really what makes them work. And then if you are truly prepared to divulge, to discuss, to share some of the challenges that you have, and when you get feedback and you get other people sharing from experience, and the key here is sharing from experience, it's not giving advice as you know. Chris, it's really sharing your own experience because in your own experience, chances are you will have a direct impact on the person receiving that story, that experience, uh, and they can take from that, you know, the nuggets that can help them be, that, that they can use in their own situation. I'll give you an example, and it's more of a personal one. When my mom was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, Lou Gehrig's they call it here, it was obviously a major shock to the family, to myself. None of us had ever had experience with it. But I shared that with my forum group. And one of the members of my forum had a relative who'd gone through it. And they were able to put me in touch with the Motor Neuron Society here in the United States. And within 24 hours, my mom had a nurse at her door. And for the six months of her life that remained with her, she was able to be cared for in a manner which I, you know, I probably would have found it, but it could have taken a couple of months, you know, but this was a way to get, it provided me the kind of help and confidence and um, solution that was really powerful. And, and I have a thousand stories like that, personal and, and through observation. This is with community groups today. I think the ecosystems of these are, are profound and they're growing. That's why I've invested through Capital 54 in a, in a new venture called Collective 54, which is a kind of like a YPO, but very deep for owners of professional services firms. Because that's a unique demographic. It's your demographic. It's the owners and the entrepreneurs that are your audience. And where do you go to get you know, help to grow your business, to scale? And how do you create... How do you create an exit for you so that you create generational wealth for yourself, your family, whether you want to buy a boat or whether you want to give it away to a, a worthy cause? It's, you know, how do you create a community around helping you and helping each other get there? I love that story. I love those stories. And, and I think the big part of being connected to individuals and access to connections, that was incredible and, and helping you deal with that situation with your, with your mother and, the other thing that, that I was just interested in, and I want to jump right into Capital 54 after this, is being the CEO of, of this organization, you spent a ton of time with entrepreneurs. And yes. you saw many, many CEOs, the CEOs that were successful, the ones that weren't successful, maybe the, that ruminated or didn't take it to the next level. 
So what makes a great CEO in, in your mind? You know, there's so many different varieties. So it's not a silver bullet answer, you know, because it's very nuanced. I would say some common characteristics, curiosity and learning as an underpinning of successful CEOs. I don't think you can run a business today, whether it's a small business or a medium or even a large-sized business, unless you are developing and unless you have the curiosity to learn and grow and understand people and markets and, you know, products. Principles, I think today, you know, if you've got a purpose and principle, you know, I love Ray Dalio, for example. You know, having a North Star in whatever business you're in, that's not only representative of you as a leader, because you have to be able to walk the talk, um, but having a North Star that's attractive to yourself and people that work for you. Now, you have to, when I say walk the talk, being authentic and being able to be measured on your accomplishments and on doing what you say you're going to do are very important ingredients. And then I think it's, you know, dependent on, I don't think there's one leadership style. You know, each of us have a different composition of personality, life experiences, worldviews. But if you're leading, leaders really take on the responsibility and the accountability to their stakeholders if they're running publicly traded companies to their stockholders, but most importantly to themselves. So that's important. I think courage and authenticity, courage to take a risk, to get out there and make a payroll, hire a group of people, pioneer, create impact. Because there's so many interesting businesses today. There are wonderful NGOs, nonprofits. You know, being in business, to me, the entrepreneurship aspect of it means that you're creating something worthwhile, whether it's a product or a service or a widget. There's an exchange, but you're also perpetuating the ability for people to live and do things that they require. There's a monetary aspect to it. And then finally, I think leaders who extend themselves, who are prepared to make mistakes, who have compassion for, for others, not, not apple pie, Compassion, but true, genuine compassion to understand, you know, what it takes to to get up in the morning and, and do the best one can, I think are the, are the core ingredients. And there, there are others too. I mean, I have my own sort of core pillars. I have six sort of core, what I call my, my own personal pillars. You know, communication, powerful communication uh, is key for me. And I, part of that is candid and truthful communication. I try and be positive um, because today, you know, positivity is really important in the face of the difficulties that we all that we're all facing. Reputation, so reputation for, for fair dealing. You can deal hard, which I think is appropriate in business, but fair dealing. And then passion. I think without passion, why are you why are you even bothering? You know, which is important. Vision. Leaders without vision who can think uniquely and push the envelope and explore the, the realms of possibility are, are key. I mentioned courage and then action. I think words without action are just that, they're words. And so verifiable action, those are the sort of the six things that I try and live up to every day. And it's a, it's a challenge, you know, nobody's perfect. That's such an incredible answer, well-rounded answer to such a broad question that I asked. And I'm so glad that I asked it because that is incredible. And I, I 100% agree with all of those, even the, the statement at the end, the, the entrepreneurs versus the entrepreneurs. So 
let's jump right into Capital 54. Yes. Because many individuals have great ideas for companies, but what is Capital 54 do to help turn those great ideas into successful businesses? So Capital 54 is the family office of a fellow YPO, my business partner, my boss, Greg Alexander, who is just one of those extraordinarily gifted, talented entrepreneurs who had his own boutique consulting firm called SBI, had a very successful sale several years ago. And he approached me, he, he wants to invest in boutique professional services firms and in entrepreneurs who are wanting to make an impact, particularly in our industry. So our goal is to make strategic investments in entrepreneurs that are in the growth phase of their businesses. And in order to do that, our first portfolio company, which we've taken a year and a half to put together, and it's a membership group for owners of professional services firms in three specific tiers. Those companies and owners that are going through growth, so they're small, They've got a handful of clients. They've got their first team put together, but they need business development. They need to get out of survival mode. They need other individuals who've been there and done that can help them on that journey. And so that they're not alone. You know, first time entrepreneurs, it's very difficult. You know, there's something called the imposter syndrome. Am I really capable of doing this? You know, am I going to succeed? Am I going to fail? So that tier is very important. And then we focused as well on the scale aspect. So people that are, they pass the growth phase, they're in scale phase, but they're working 80 hours a week. They, they're working too hard in their business. They're typically the rainmaker owner uh, partner. And how do we help them spend less time on the day-to-day, more time in strategy? So that's about making sure you've got the right people around you, the right senior team maybe bringing in a partner, maybe expanding your reach through some kind of a merger or ecosystem partnership. And that's, that is a very, very important group because 99, 95% of owners don't get past that scale group to enterprise value. And that's the other piece. So the third aspect of what we're doing is those people that are two to three or four years away from selling how do you make sure that their organizations and that they're prepared to be super attractive uh, to a strategic buyer or a private equity buyer? And there are a lot of little things that they have to do. They have to separate, for example, their personal finances from the business finances. So many entrepreneurs, their lives are wrapped up into their business, but come the day they need to sell their business, it has to be pristine from a financial standpoint. Fee quality has to be great. A good monthly recurring revenue model needs to be in place. And it's even even small professional services businesses like boutique law firms or accounting firms. You know, if they truly want to create an exit, a substantial exit, you know, maybe it's a roll-up they, that they consider. You know, maybe there's some intellectual property that they can digitize that becomes their unique IP that has a value in excess of, you know, their fee-based value. So there are all those little nuances that we, I've been in professional services for 30 years, and Greg's been in, in that business around the same, a little bit a little bit less than me. But we want to take our experiences, our successes, and pay it forward. Now, selfishly, and one of my principles is candor, you know, by creating Collective 54, we want to be able to find those owners of businesses uh, whose values and whose business resonates with us. And we're putting our own money into those companies to help them grow. So that's the purpose of Capital 54. 
We are going to do a couple more startups that we're looking at right now. And um, our long-term plan is to go side by side with some really gifted owners and help them have the kind of success that Greg and myself have had. Uh, so that's the game plan. And we're not, um, we're patient. You know, both of us are in the middle phase of our life. And so we're at a, a phase where hopefully with our perspective, our networks, our willingness to sit and spend time with entrepreneurs will, you know, accrue positively to both us and the people that we invest with. John's work at Capital 54 helps entrepreneurs do exactly what many PI firms are attempting, scaling. Many attorneys I speak to talk about a kind of plateauing where they reach a certain level, but they can't push through the wall no matter what they do. If you're listening and that's you, then good news. Sean McGinnis breaks down his methodology to help you get over that hump. First up, perfecting your networking. They need to dedicate time to the process. I think one of the big observations that we've had is professionalizing your outreach and your business development process. It's not a hit and miss. It's not something that you, that, you know, just via osmosis or your innate ability to network individually. You know, there are some phenomenal digital marketing businesses, for example, today that leverage platforms like LinkedIn. But, you know, and I say that and everybody goes, yeah, oh, we know that and, you know, these other things. But there is a way to go about marketing in a very specific way to your target audience. So firstly, you know, it's understanding your customer, understanding what drives them, what the, you know, what the needs are, where are you getting referrals? And then making sure that you develop the kinds of relationships and touch points with those groups through communities like that. So social media marketing is very important today. Not ignoring the face-to-face, unfortunately, you know, in this pandemic, it's very difficult to get out and about, and a lot of people are are resistant to that. But it's building in those touch points that create a trusted relationship and your top of mind going out. So that's an element. Joining organizations like Collective 54, for example, very important because or associations, you know, where you are leveraging into a multiplication effect through that network. You know, and that's very important because then people have your back. I was a member of a group called the Dallas Round Table for many years. They get together every Tuesday morning and they share needs and needs. And there are groups specifically that are good for doing that. But having a strategy, measurement on a daily basis, because this is your lifeblood, you know, having some really good tools to monitor and make sure that your your follow-ups and your touch points are automated uh, we use, this is not a, I'm a huge Salesforce fan, but I also uh, like HubSpot and these other tools, which are relatively inexpensive, but they take a lot of the administrivia off your plate. And if you if you utilize them well, uh, they can be very effective. Then there are a whole group of organizations that you can outsource to today. As a small personal injury attorney, if you've got the ability to dedicate some financial resource on a monthly basis to an outsourced group of people. There are some fantastic companies. One in particular that I've been using out of Atlanta, Georgia called Uproar. They're spectacular. These folks go out and, you know, you give them a defined list of the target and they'll go out and they'll actually book appointments for you. So you can have the face-to-face. You can have that conversation with somebody that needs your services or that is a good referral source for you. 
So I think some of those tactics are useful. It is important to work your plan to make sure that you're constantly prepared to pivot. But you've got to have a really nice top pipeline that can come through the funnel. And that's got to be, unfortunately, and even for a small business, if you're not doing that effectively, then you then it's feast or famine. You're going from one deal, you're having to come, you know, to then bounce back and fill your pipeline or relationship. So you can automate some of that. That's a way to scale and grow quite nicely. And you can manage it there. You can put the pedal down and accelerate. You can pull it back. You can hire probably. These are the things, by the way, that on a weekly basis we teach our we teach our members at, at Collective 54, and we have a whole series of templates. But that's just top of mind right now, Chris. Yeah, and I love the the multiplier effect that you're talking about with the net the networking, and definitely with Collective 54 for our audience listening, we're definitely going to link that up, you know, so you can get the help there. And another, so another little area for personal injury attorneys, particularly small personal injury law firms, they get in these situations where maybe they're going to litigate a case and it just drains their money, their funds, or they need a cash injection. So how should they go about in prospecting potential investors? Is it just come back to networking? You know, no, I think there's a very specific strategy to adopt there. One is um, there are firms now, sort of private equity models that provide litigation support, depending on the case. That's a burgeoning industry. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about these. But I think, you know, I have a, a really dear friend of mine, uh, John Garda, who was a managing partner of a very large firm, KNL Gates. It's gone out and put together a pool of capital to do exactly what you just asked for. So there are pockets like that. It is important in this, I'm sure for your clients, you've got to have forward, if capital is there, you've got to save enough and you've got to have your, you've got to have your pool set aside with just that eventuality. And that's in that business, I'm assuming, and I don't know it well, so I apologize, but I would be building as part of my, as part of my capitalization strategy a pool to take care of exactly that type of eventuality. Now, if you're going from deal to deal, it's, it, it may be very difficult to do that. So lining up with a capital source may be good. But, you know, again, I think defining what that looks like, getting ready for it, maybe aligning with some of the bigger firms that would support them and doing a, a fee split or a gain share type model could work as well. So, again, I think it's important that your listeners sit, think through, identify what those potential challenges would be, and then crowdsource solutions through networking, through outreach to firms that are specifically designed for that type of contribution. Yeah, I I completely agree. I I think that's a very well-rounded answer. And I think that you covered it much better than I've heard. You know, I think a lot, uh, some of the stories, and I've interviewed a lot of a personal injury attorneys, the thing that I hear is they just load up the credit card and they accrue all this debt. But I think kind of forecasting maybe those financial needs is, is incredibly important, particularly when that perfect case lands on your plate. But, you know, even then, there are some firms that may be able to, you may, may be able to partner with that can actually help try the case with you and extend the value because they're experts in that particular area where you might try try the case and and not get very much. And so I think there's some opportunities there for collaboration too. I do too. And I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head and, you know, when people get dollars in their eyes and they think this case is going to be that groundbreaking wealth creation event, sometimes greed gets in the way in place of really thoughtful 
how do I extend my ability to be in business for a while? If you're not a one-trick pony and you're thinking long-term, it's what sorts of relationships will help me along the way? Because there are peaks and valleys in every business. We're seeing that right now. Some businesses are doing extraordinarily well today. Others, like the hospitality industry or the meeting and event planning industry, are, are really hurting. But they'll come back. And it's, are they ready for those eventualities? Nobody's ever been through anything like this today. And so I think the big lesson that I'm taking away from this the last six months and maybe the next six months is how do we get ready to handle these types? And they may not be as big a crisis, but how do we plan for uh, different scenarios coming up? And what you're talking about is really a scenario planning mentality to deal with certain events in your business. And are you ready for them? Do you have the relationships in place that you can go to to help you get through them? And thinking about them, taking the time to plan, to strategize, to work with others. How have you dealt with this in the past? Who have you managed to go to that would share and not try and take the lion's share of the of the revenue from a particular case? Uh, maybe a way to go about thinking about it. I, I love that. And I, it immediately makes me think of niching. Niching. The, the, the big, riches are in the niches is what my partner right. tells me. <laughs> right. The riches are in the niches. And the big con, you know, there's so many pros to niching. You're a thought leader. You, you're an expert. You stand out in a crowded space. I could go on and on about the, the benefits of efficiency for operations and, and you're maximizing your marketing spend. And the con it, that a lot of times people list is, you know, it's smaller market cap and, and it's risk to an industry downturn, right? So a lot of people won't niche because they're just afraid that maybe they pick the wrong industry and it goes, you know, they pick uh, hospitality. But I, I think what you mentioned is being aware that you have an extreme focus yep. and planning for that potential, like what if at the very beginning? Yes. And you know, the reality is it's a specialized world today. You know, it's highly disruptive. And a lot of big organizations, mid-sized organizations, if they don't have the talent in-house, where do they go? So if you have a niche speciality, if you have certain intellectual property, you can make that very worthwhile to your clients. We're working with so many interesting member companies right now, Chris. Counterintuitively, you would think that retail is getting hammered today. Some of our retail consulting members are 40, 50% up on their revenues over last year because they're helping in bankruptcy, they're helping in inventory, they're helping in logistics, you know, supply chain. And it's when companies are faced with calamity and a massive reduction in revenue, where do they go for help? You know, and this is where the niche players who've developed a speciality will always play a role. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that every day. It's remarkable. Um, but it's having the mindset not to put yourself in, in a backward-looking position. And you need to be prepared at any given point in time to be able to toot your own horn and say, this is where I specialize. Here's my, here are my credentials. Here, is, here are my artifacts of professionalism. This is what I've done and give me a chance to do this for you. Now, again, going back to what I, we, we talked about very earlier, you've got to be able to credibly walk your talk and deliver that value. But if you've got a proven track record and you feel confident uh, and you can evidence your ability to, to provide value, you'll always be able to get business, in my view. Three excellent concepts there to explore from Sean McGinnis. Networking, a strong capitalization strategy, and openness to collaboration. 
Be sure to check out the rankings blog for a closer look at some of the themes from today's episode. It's clear that Sean McGinnis is truly passionate about what he does, but even the most dedicated entrepreneurs need to take time off. So I wanted to know how he achieves the perfect work-life balance. So I'll use a phrase, it's a a well-tried phrase. Life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So that is kind of like like a red flag to a bull for an entrepreneur because we all, let's just put 80 hours a week into things. Unless you're physically and mentally healthy, you won't be successful long-term. You may be able to push it through for a couple of years, but I have that balancing. I, I try not to take work home. I've hated being home during COVID. Not that I, I'm anti-work from home. I, I think that the outsourced and the work from home model is here to stay and it's fantastic, right? But I've tried to separate throughout my life the time I dedicate to work and the time I dedicate to refresh. Dan Sullivan, who owns a business called The Strategic Coach, and he has something called Focus Days, Free Days, and Buffer Days. And it was really difficult for me initially to get my head around, what does it mean to take a totally free day? And so I try and have my weekends, to the extent I can, be totally free of work. Now, you know, there may be client calls, relationships. At YPO, it was a seven-day week because we have... We had member clusters in 130 different countries, all different types of religions, all different types of time zones. So you've got to balance that. I I literally try and organize my week and my life so that I've got pockets of free time. Uh, Buffer time to do administrivia because today it's important that everything is ticked and tied from an administration standpoint. And then when you're really on, be really on. But that, for me, by the way, personally, that requires getting at least eight hours sleep. And I don't, I don't respond well if I if I'm not rested. You know, and there are little hacks that one can use that I've developed personally over time to make sure that that happens. Family is very important to me, so time with my wife and daughter is key, and that's why weekends are are pretty much off limits. But the reality is, as an entrepreneur, we do what it takes to get things done, and so ignoring your physical and mental well-being is dangerous and having again a structure some kind of structure that helps you just disconnect the word that's resonating with me is balance and one of the things that's been a struggle for me personally is even though I have a remote company I like to separate work and home life and it's like well my living room's over my left shoulder so I always feel like I'm at work you know I exit the room and I'm, I'm still at the office So it's kind of like a mental shift that's been hard to adjust. So it's just balanced and I, I completely agree. And, you know, as we close up, we have a new segment called our three for three. Which entrepreneur do you admire the most? Wow. Which entrepreneur do I admire the most? There's so many. I would say... Classic in the financial space would be uh, Warren Buffett. And I would say Bill Gates for his his total sustaining. I mean, he's just a rock star and just, he's a marathon guy. You know, I, I'm extraordinarily amazed by what he's done. But then there's some entrepreneurs that nobody's heard about. And I know you asked me for only one, but I've got some really good EO and YPO friends, you know, people like Rand Stegen and Rick Sapio, who, who I just so admire 
uh, and who epitomize true entrepreneurship, but you wouldn't know who they were because they're not, you know, they're not the Gateses or the Buffets of the world. Well, that's perfect. And we'll have to give them a shout out. They'll love this. And the next question, being a search engine optimization company, I got to ask this to every guest. What is your top search engine optimization tip? Oh, they, that is such a hard Softball was thrown up there. Softball was thrown up there. Very targeted. Try and be as specific as you can. Perfect. And then final question here. What is the next thing on your bucket list? I want to travel again. You know, we were, my wife, daughter, and I were, were we had a trip planned in August, our first river cruise uh, in Europe, and we were going to go down the Rhine, and, and we were so looking forward to that. My daughter's 17, but two more years high school left. So I'm looking forward for the world to come back and to do that trip next year. It was a total pleasure to speak with Sean McGinnis for this episode. He has such a profound experience in every facet of entrepreneurship, and I'll be keeping tabs on Capital 54 to see the results of Sean's incredible mentorship and business development. You've been listening to The Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Dreyer. A huge thanks to Sean McGinnis for joining us today. You can find more information, as always, in the show notes, and we want to hear from you. How did you get over the hump when scaling your firm? Drop us a review and let us know. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.